It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. So this past week, Whitney and I received an email from someone we know, and it was a really, really unique email. It was a unique take. And the gist of this email was some articles and positions that he had found online that eating meat improves your mental health and that one in three vegetarians are depressed, according to some studies that have come out. So I want to take this time to read this email, of course, leaving out specific personal details, but to get the gist of this interesting topic that we're going to dig into today on today's episode. Email starts, I was scrolling through suggested articles from Google tonight, and this one popped out at me. It made me go, huh. See the attachments below, but basically, it's a new study that claims that vegetarians and vegans are more apt to deal with depression, mental illness, and even consider suicide. Now, my first reaction was, this is an article sponsored by the meat industry because that's what they do. But I didn't want to leave it at that, so I pondered it for a while. Many of my vegetarian vegan friends, or just more health conscious in general, do tend to deal with anxiety, depression, etc. For me personally, I'm on and off the anxiety carousel about as often as I've been on off the plant-based wagon. But I've watched the documentaries, read the books, and it just doesn't add up to me. So I wondered about other possibilities. One, People who are vegan, etc., are more health conscious, so they are more likely to seek treatment for mental illness concerns, whereas others might just take it as something they, quote, have to deal with without assigning it a little or even worse, a stigma. He talks about the city he's in. Once you get outside the metro bubble, you're in some pretty rural areas here, areas that don't have access to as many healthcare options, and let's face it, are more likely to be carnivorous than many more affluent urban suburban areas. So I wondered if this was an economic issue and maybe many people who eat meat don't have the means to receive treatment, even if they know something might need their attention. Three, vegetarians, vegans also tend to skew toward being empaths. So maybe we, they feel things on a level others may not or choose not to. That's a really loaded statement. And I don't mean to stereotype. I'm just trying to hypothesize because everything I've read up until today says that eating meat on the regular is more likely to create a litany of health issues. So I thought I'd bounce the whole topic off two of my favorite plant-based pals to see, one, if you had any thoughts, and two, if it might be a good topic for you to delve into on your podcast or your blog as the current story about all the meat plants being forced to stay open despite the rampant COVID-19 illness for employees is a big topic right now. It seems like a lot of folks are going to, at least for a short term, have to go without ready access to their favorite meat products, or maybe hop over to more plant-based options in the interim. So that's my curiosity for the evening. Do with it what you will. Hope you're all taking good care. Whew, that is certainly one of the most interesting points of feedback and consideration I think I've ever gotten through email, Whitney. I mean, what, what was your first reaction to this? Well, whenever I read something... I like to look at it from as many sides as possible and notice how I'm reacting to it. So, of course, as 
somebody who has been vegan for a long time and a big advocate for it, I don't really want to believe this, you know, and I feel like my health in a lot of ways has improved. And it's really tough to say if I personally have experienced a change in my mental health since going vegan because I've been vegan since 2003. So as of the time of recording, it's been almost 20, oh wait, not 20 years. I wish. <laughs> I was going to say it's 2020. It's been almost 17 years because I'm vegetarian actually in May 2003. So that's been about 20 years. Uh, gosh, I keep saying that. <laughs> let, me, let me start not over here. Not that long yet, Whitney. Not that long. <laughs> I know in my head, it's like 20 years, 20 years, but it's not. Okay. So I went vegetarian in May 2003 and actually... Around that time, I had started seeing a psychologist, technically a psychiatrist, for the first time in my life. Let's see, when was that exactly? I feel like the first official therapy session I had was in either 2001 or 2002. And I was experiencing a lot of mental health challenges. And when I went vegetarian, I actually felt like it helped me a lot. But I think that's because for me, a lot of the things that I was struggling with were self-esteem and challenges with my body. So if you haven't heard me share this part of my story before, going vegetarian and later vegan actually helped me recover from a huge struggle I had with disordered eating. And I think that's because I felt a lot of freedom, and this might sound a little strange to say, but by adding some boundaries on some ethical boundaries, really, to the way that I was eating, I felt more freedom because I, along the way, started to discover that foods like dairy and meat were causing inflammation in my body. They were probably even making it harder for me to lose weight in my personal experience. Again, like I feel like everybody's bodies are a little bit different, but I've heard this from a lot of vegetarians and vegans. And when they first went animal free in their diet, you know, of course, vegetarian is a different way of eating. They're still eating dairy in, in many cases. But for me, I lost weight and I've heard that from a lot of people. And and a lot of my mental health challenges were tied into my weight, right? Because for me, it was a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better term, self-esteem and, and not feeling great in my body and feeling like I wasn't attractive and feeling like I needed to lose weight in order to like myself and all of that. And of course, that's not true. But at that time in my life, back in 2001, 2002, when I started to make the shift and and go to therapy and then eventually try the vegetarian and vegan diets in 2003, it just felt like a big shift for me. I felt more empowered and that was very tied into my mental health. My confidence went up. So that was tied into my mental health. There was so much there, right? And I, I, I'm certainly not implying that losing weight in, improved my mental health. It's just that for me struggling so much with my body, I felt more also for lack of a better term, in control, right? It was like I found something that was really working for me. And because that was empowering, I felt like an improvement in my self-esteem. And self-esteem is so tied into our mental health. A lot of us struggle with things like anxiety and depression when we feel like we're out of control. It also depends on the level of anxiety and depression and the type that you're experiencing, whether it's something like a imbalance or some sort of mental 
experience, I guess it's kind of hard to put in the words, like mental versus emotional. You know, for me, my experiences of anxiety and depression have been more on the emotional side of it and not something that that taking drugs, for example, has necessarily helped. It was more that I needed to work through a lot of emotional challenges to feel less anxious, to feel less depressed. I, I wouldn't say that I had or have clinical depression or anxiety, but I experience it a lot. And I think it's really important to make a difference. So long story short <laughs> is that for me, I made a positive shift. And it's challenging to read information like this because I think there's there's part of me that's like, wait a second, like I don't ever want to go back to eating meat. But as a well-being advocate, I also want to give information that's as accurate as possible. And I certainly want to dive into a discussion with Jason about this, right? It's like, it's scary. And and it's also brings up something that I think we should talk about here. We, we've actually touched upon this very briefly. Jason, I don't know if you remember this, but in one of our episodes, I remember saying that I don't know if I'll be vegan my whole life or vegetarian my whole life. I plan to be, but as a person that strives to have an open mind and I also know that I can't predict or control the future. It's anything's possible, right? I don't know if my diet will always be the way that it is right now. And if I've continued to find a lot of information that said that being vegetarian or vegan was not the greatest thing for my mental health, like I don't know if I could justify continuing to do it. It sounds terrifying because I'm very attached to this way of living and it feels very in alignment with my life, but would I want my mental health to suffer? No. Do I hope that the study that is brought up here is wrong? (laughs) Absolutely, right? I hope it's biased. I hope that it was conducted by somebody that has some ties to the meat industry and they're trying to convince us. And I think that's always important is to figure out who did the study and are there any biases there? So that's my long answer to your question, Jason. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I do want to just skim through because you you asked a lot of pertinent questions and and I have not, first of all, taken the time to dig into the specific authors of the study that are are referenced in there because it it does reference these. So first of all, we're, we're going to link to this specific article that our friend emailed us and asked us to weigh in on. It's it's on Daily Mail, which is a really popular UK site. And just the the kind of overall here is it says eating meat may improve mental health and one in three vegetarians are depressed, new study suggests. And by the way, I just pulled it up and it's it's sourced or referenced in many articles outside of that website. So something that I do whenever I'm doing research is I go and look up something and try to find any website that I recognize. So it's come up in, I don't know if if Daily Mail is like the most legitimate site, but I found it in like a ton of other sources. So I'll make sure that we put that in there. And I just wanted to say that out loud in case in your head you're thinking, well, that's not a legitimate site. <laughs> We're going to make sure to, to put numerous studies and, and sources in the show notes at wellevator.com for you. The interesting thing that pops out to me, Whitney, is it says researchers reviewed 18 studies examining the relationship between mental health and eating meat involving a total of 160,257 participants. So the first thing is they didn't conduct a new study, which is maybe, you know, something that obviously you can control the factors and and do a double blind study and, and make sure 
obviously when you conduct a study, you can have more control than reviewing studies that have already been, been conducted. So that's not necessarily, I would say, a red flag for me. But the fact that they did not conduct a brand new study, they simply reviewed pre-existing studies is a bit strange to me. Are you talking about the... Because I found another article that, that says... First of all, this one's referencing a review article from Cornell University. Is the article you're reading talking about that same one? No, it does not. So the thing, and to your point, Daily Mail is not a very in-depth, it's sort of like People Magazine for the UK. It's right. kind of like a tabloid mag. Yeah, that's why I was like, we better, we better cross-reference. But is it, because I, I thought this one was published, oh, actually, this is from 2018. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, this, this one just came out April 29th of 2020, this Daily Mail article. But it, it says that the University of Alabama were the ones who reviewed these studies and says those who avoided meat consumption had significantly higher rates or risk of depression, anxiety, and or self-harm behaviors. Okay, so obviously we want to dig in. It says Dr. Edward Archer, who is one of the study's authors from the University of Alabama, said, while the risks and benefits of vegetarian and vegan diets have been debated for centuries, our results show that meat eaters have overall better psychological health. So again, if you want to dig into its psychology today, with which Whitney just pulled up also with plantbasednews.org, have other articles related to this mental health issue. If I can weigh in, though, on, on my understanding, because Whitney, you know that I've struggled a lot with mental health, and, and I was diagnosed in 2014 with, with clinical depression by my doctor, Alan Green, and also my psychotherapist. They both confirmed it. And when we dug into the chemistry and the biology of what was going on with me, you know, when I got a neurotransmitter test, neurotransmitters are the chemical messengers that basically create action potentials in the brain. So there are different, you know, processes in the body and emotional processes that are regulated by our neurotransmitters in our brain. And for me, it found back then that most of my primary neurotransmitters were functioning suboptimally, you know, and I remember my Dr. Alan Green looking at me and saying, well, it's no wonder you're depressed and suicidal. He's like, look, look at your brain chemistry. Like we can just look at the science behind what's going on with your neurotransmitters. And of course you would feel the way you feel. So it's interesting just kind of reflect back on what I went through when I had those studies done six years ago and, and what I have done in terms of my own research. You know, for me, Whitney, it was looking at specifically what nutrients in food were primarily responsible for boosting my neurotransmitter function. And I remember specifically, I had never really researched this part of it before. This was, again, 2014. And for a long time, I was really confident that I was getting a lot of omega fatty acids from things like hemp seeds and things like chia seeds and walnuts and pecans and those kind of fats. But it wasn't until I really started to look at the research between specifically mental health and brain function that most of those omega fatty acids that vegetarians and vegans get are ALA, they're alpha linoleic acids, which aren't necessarily the most beneficial for brain health. Now, EPA and DHA, which are the other two primary omega-3 fatty acids, are not present as readily in those plant foods, right? What are they most present in? They're most present in seafood, in plankton, in algae, and krill, right? So it was like, all right, so I can either like choose to start eating seafood or I can look to see if there are any vegan supplements that are made from microalgaes or plankton 
that have these high levels of EPA and DHA omega fatty acids. So to that point, I hadn't even realized that I could potentially be deficient. And when we ran those blood panel tests, he looked at me, he's like, yeah, your, your ALA levels are really high, but your EPA and your DHA is super low. So that, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg because I want to hand the baton back to you. But for me, it was a journey of, wow, I'm deficient in these things that I had no idea I needed to focus on for my mental health. And once I started adjusting my supplementation, I mean, it's something I still struggle with my mental health, as you know, Whitney, as, as my best friend and some of the listeners who may have dug into previous episodes, but adjusting my diet and adjusting my nutrition is critical for me to stay mentally balanced. Absolutely. And luckily, by doing a little bit of research and this just scratching the surface, there are a number of articles that have come out debating or bringing up other things that these studies did not bring up. And one of them was written by one of our previous guests, Dr. Joel Kahn, who's a heart doctor. And he's somebody that we really trust. So I, I would definitely present his take here. And again, we encourage you as a listener to do your own research. You know, you don't have to fully agree with anything that we say. And we hope that you become part of the conversation too. You can actually go to the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you click on the podcast section and find this episode, you can type in the comments, whatever you find. So maybe you find some other studies. If you want to have a ongoing discussion with us, we would love to have that with you. You can also reach us on social media so we can continue the conversation and see what research you're doing. So Dr. Joel Kahn in his article, that, which is published on livekindly.co, of course, we will link to that in the show notes. It's a wonderful website. And keep in mind, this is definitely on the bias side, right? Livekindly is a vegan website. So we need to consider that perspective. And Dr. Joel Kahn is a vegan doctor. Again, if you haven't listened to his episode yet, did you guys get into mental health, Jason? We mostly focused on cardiac health and immunity because when we had uh, Dr. Khan on the uh, podcast here, it was really in a, a really intense time in the COVID crisis. So we didn't really touch so much on the mental side of things. We touched on self-care, but we really focused on cardiac health. We focused on stress and we focused on immunity. Excellent. I wasn't part of that episode because I was having a business challenge that needed to be addressed during the time of that recording. So uh, I actually have not listened to that episode yet. I will admit it, but maybe I should review the show notes there. Anyways, <laughs> so Dr. Joel Kahn, he had a, a couple points to make. And one thing that I really liked in this article is that he said, or outlined, I should say, what did not make the headlines so he had a number of bullet points here for, to be precise. Number one is that a huge number of studies were excluded. So that's important to keep in mind. And again, this is why on either side, whether you believe something or disagree with something, really looking into how a study was done. It's very similar, in my opinion, to how food labels can be very biased or, or can be manipulative, right? You can see a food label and it's like, this is all natural, and it leads you to believe that it's good for your health or good for the environment or different from other similar products. But words like natural don't have a definition that is very legitimate, right? So it can be, to me, it's similar. 
to a study which can convince you from the headline and from the bullet points that you might peruse in an article to mean one thing, to be conclusive. But if you dig deeper, and I think one of the easier ways to do that is to look at people that are talking about the opposite, right? So this is a really great example, Dr. Joel Kahn here, sharing what was not included, what was excluded from something, what wasn't covered. And the same thing can be true with an article that's pro-vegan, is really looking at what are people saying to debate it. Because for me, it's important not to be in a bubble or to actually explore what's outside your bubble, your world here, and and look at what other people are saying. And do they have a point? I think that was part of the reason in a previous episode, and today I bring this up again, is that I do feel very attached to being vegan. I feel like it aligns with me on a health level and a eco-friendly level and a cruelty level. There's so many different reasons that I have chosen to be vegan since 2003. But as I said, I want to keep an open mind. And if for some reason I find out that some of those major reasons that I have stayed vegan are not accurate anymore or do not align with me, or if I'm if I'm able to find something that's very convincing, who's to say that I would continue to do something just because my ego is tied into it, right? I mean, that's that's an important thing here. And it's always interesting, if, if I may, to pause for a second before going back to this article on Live Kindly. Jason, I'd love to discuss it with you because I feel like as vegans, there's a lot of ego. I mean, we talked about this recently in our episode with Ruby Roth. We briefly touched upon the infighting, and this has come up off and on throughout our episodes here on the show, is that there tends to be so much pressure to do things right, to do things the right way, to color within the lines. And then there's all these different perspectives about what it means to be vegan and the different versions of veganism, whether it's raw food or it's low carb, high fat or high fat, low carb or salt oil and sugar free and all of these different ways to be vegan. And and it seems like everybody has a different opinion about what's the right way, the healthiest way to be vegan. And I think that there's a lot of ego tied into that. And one thing that I strive more and more to do is to be less attached to what's right or wrong, because who am I to say? I mean, I'm not a a doctor or a nutritionist or a scientist. So (laughs) I have a lot of ignorance, but even doctors, nutritionists, scientists, researchers, they bring their own biases to things. And I think we need to do our best to let go of our biases if we want to take a position of being realistic is that I don't know if there's ever a right or wrong or a black and white scenario. What do you feel about this, Jason? I think that in terms of truth, we, we also talked about the nature of subjective versus universal truth in the episode with Luke's story, which was amazing. And I think for me, removing the ego from this is, is so important because research and science and human understanding is a moving target. Our understanding of the world in general is a moving target. And if we look at the studies of biology or astronomy or surgery or neurochemistry, things that we held to be true decades ago or hundreds of years ago is really, it's a moving target. And I think one of the most confusing things to back up what you said, Wit, is that people will attach themselves to a new study or a documentary or a film or certain information 
And they're like, well, this is the absolute truth. We've got it. We have irrefutable proof now that veganism is the greatest diet and the way that everyone ought to be eating rather. But you see it not just in the vegan community. It's certainly the, this egotism and the sense of this is the exact right way to eat, live, pray, whatever it is. We see it in people who are eating keto. We see it in people who are eating paleo. We see it in the biohacking community. We, Whitney, you and I have been so immersed in this personally and professionally as life experimentalists for so long now that to me, I, I and I, I look back, I remember in, in my early days of being a raw foodist, I was convinced that eating a 100% organic, completely unprocessed, raw vegan diet was the way not just I wanted to live, but I was convinced that it was the Garden of Eden. I remember thinking like, this is the most natural, pure, holy, spiritual way to eat. I was convinced that you know the whole world ought to be eating raw vegan. And so I remember feeling like a zealot, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't aware I was a zealot, but if, rather if I reflect back on it, I think the danger in all this, Whitney, is that a new study comes out and everyone latches onto it to say, see, coconut oil's bad for you. We were right. See, meat's bad for you, right? See, broccoli and lentils and, and lectins and legumes, those are bad too. And it it's no wonder people feel so defeated and so confused and so flummoxed by the topic of health and wellness. Because if you want to go deep enough down the rabbit hole, you can find diametrically opposed studies for damn near everything. Lentils are good. No, they're not. They have lectins and they'll kill you. Tofu is good for you. No, it's not. It's going to you know, have too many isoflavones, which give you man boobs. Literally, you can find anything pretty much under the sun on the topic of nutrition, health, food, biochemistry, neurobiology that completely conflict each other. And it is fucking maddening. It's fucking maddening because you're like, where's my true north? And I think ultimately what I've come to for myself is the true north has to be how you feel in your body and your mind and your being. And you pay attention and you be very, very mindful of how your mind and body feel when you start to consume something. I feel like our intuition and how we actually feel and being honest about that with ourselves is the only true north. Because if you strictly rely on science and research and studies, it's constantly evolving and changing. And again, to back up what I said, you're going to find constantly contradictory studies ad infinitum. So to remove the ego from all this, to back up what you said, Wit, it's like I've been plant-based 23 years this month. Yeah, May 15th, 23 years and 22 years vegan. So you've actually been, <laughs> here I am hoping that I've been doing it for 20 years and you actually have. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I'm not, this is not a humble <laughs> brag. It's not a humble, it's not, <laughs> I wasn't trying to one-up Whitney. I was yeah. just like stating, like, I've been doing this shit a long ass time, a long ass time. Like the mid nineties, right, is like when I started eating plant-based and I have wondered, Whitney, and this is the first time I'm, I'm actually saying it to anybody like you, and I've never even talked about this, but there have been times over my mental health journey where I've wondered if it might be better for me to eat fish once a month, right? And just experiment with that. And then, of course, to have that thought, I've beaten the shit out of myself. I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. You're vegan. Everyone knows you as vegan. You've created a brand and a career and your money's made because everyone is so, you can't do that. And you would lose friends and people would disown you and they'd, they'd fucking shame you. And the same thing the horde, the tyranny of the vegan majority do to everyone else is like, oh, you've eaten something non-vegan, we're going to like give you death threats and we're going to like kick you off vegan island. But to be honest with everyone, like above everything, above anything I label myself or any style of eating, I'm a truth seeker. 
Like no matter what, I'm a truth seeker. And if it came to be that, wow, you know, maybe I should consider like maybe the bioavailability of the omega fatty acids in fish might be better for my brain. And, you know, I can hear certain people might be like, oh, dude, you're crazy to even say that. Like, what are you talking about? But the reality is, unless someone knows what it's like to be suicidal and think about trying to kill yourself all the time and being so depressed you don't know what to do, you will think about trying things that you might not normally try to get yourself out of that place. Did you think about that when you received, when we received, because this this email was sent to each of us individually, our separate email accounts. And I'm, when you received this email, did part of you think, oh, maybe I need to stop being vegan for my mental health? Did you have that inkling at all when you first read this? Yes, I did. I did. In the whole conversation, I, I mentioned about like eating fish once a month to see how that would affect my brain chemistry, literally to just see how I would feel. I thought, first of all, is that what I really want? B, if I were to actually do it, what would my emotional reaction be to, I haven't eaten fish since 1997, 96, 97. I mean, it's a long time to not have eaten any animal products, you know? And of course, the depth of my vegan choice is not just from a nutritional perspective or a human health perspective. It's much more about the ethics involved and wanting to extend compassion and gentleness and empathy toward animals and the impact on this planet. That's a much deeper motivation for me than my own personal health, to be honest. However, if I've been quote unquote, starving my brain. And I know people go, oh, well, you can get the EPA and DHA from algaes and, and bioalgaes. And I've been doing that. I've been taking those supplements. I wonder though, if for my particular chemistry, my brain, if perhaps the bioavailability and the potency of the omega fatty acids in fish might affect me differently. And I don't know. Well, remember when you were working with the doctor to adjust your balances? Dr. Green. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I, I think it's important to bring this back up is, is there is this feeling that I've at least had, I'm generalizing here, but it's like, well, you can get everything on the vegan diet. And I think for the most part, that's pretty accurate. Jason and I each, but I'll speak for myself here. I've done a lot of research on, on this and I've watched debates and I, I read non-vegan books pretty frequently and talk to friends that are very adamant about not being vegan, you know, and very educated people. Myself included, yes. Yourself included, meaning that you've done that research as well. And also talk to a lot of friends and colleagues of ours that are absolutely not plant-based and wanting to hear their perspectives. Right. And it's interesting because there is this old instinct of mine to want to defend myself a lot. And that's what I'm saying here is it's really important for me to be as open-minded as possible. I, I still feel very uncomfortable knowing that people eat animal products. I've dated a number of men, for instance. Actually, I've dated more non-vegan men than vegan men. And it's uncomfortable at times. Like I think about that. Or when I'm with my family members, for example, it's it's uncomfortable when they eat fish around me. And dairy doesn't trigger me as much. I think it's like less in your face. But when you see, when I see, I should say, somebody eating animal flesh like fish, it's uncomfortable for me because in my head, I've attached the suffering and I, I think in my head, oh, that's not necessary. <laughs> and I still believe that, of course. But there's like part of me that's saying, well, who am I to make that judgment? Who am I to say that or think that? Again, because I'm not 
a researcher, a scientist, a, a doctor, a nutritionist, and I, I am biased because I'm vegan. Who am I to say those things? So my practice has been to make the best decision for myself and try not to judge what other people are doing and to take in that information. One that comes to mind is Dr. Mercola. When I was studying the keto diet, I read a lot of Dr. Mercola's books because he's a big advocate for it, but his books aren't vegan. And I got his cookbook and it's like barely any vegan options for me in there. And I still take in his information. I'm not going to be like, I'm not reading anything that Mercola says because he thinks that you should eat animals. What I do is I read information like that and filter it and decide how I want to approach it because I want that information even if it's not fully in alignment with the way that I think. But I guess the trouble is, is I wonder when I do filter it through the vegan lens, is there some nutritional side of it that I'm filtering out, if that makes sense? Yeah. I just want to jump in really quickly, Whit, on what you said, because in all of the research that that I have done for my own personal health in this journey of clinical depression and suicidal ideation and trying to manage my mental health for the last six plus years now, it is harder, it is more challenging to get fully bioavailable nutrients on a vegan diet, specific ones, right? We talked about EPA and DHA omega-3 fatty acids, like absolutely it's harder. K2, vitamin D3, vitamin B12, folate, vitamin B9, vitamin B6. And people say, oh, just drink a fortified orange juice or a fortified cereal, right? But then we're getting exogenous nutrients being put into foods. You know, what I'm talking about is unprocessed foods that intrinsically have those nutrients in them and how bioavailable they are for the body. Because that's the other thing I, I think that I certainly didn't consider for a long time until I had this diagnosis and saw how deficient I was in certain things and realizing that it's not just what's on the label, to harken back to what you said, Wit. it's not just what's on the NFP or the rundown of the, you know, the macros and the micros on the back of a label. It's how does your body assimilate and utilize those nutrients? And depending on your level of toxicity, your hormones, the other nutrients in your body, your genetics, the epigenetics, and how those genes express themselves, there's a whole litany of chemical processes in the body that ensure that how you or the listener or anyone tuning into this, how your body absorbs and utilizes and processes these nutrients is going to be different than my body. It just simply is. So for us to say, oh, just take a supplement and it'll be fine. It, there's no guarantee that taking a supplement is going to work the same as it will for me or you or someone else. So I go back to this radical, open-minded experimentation mindset of we have to constantly try new things, I think, to find the magic combination that's going to work for us. But certainly, one of the biggest challenges that I became aware of was kind of these five or six nutrients, the EPA, DHA, the K2, the D3, the B12, the B6, a lot of these things that are really challenging to get in high amounts if you're doing a completely vegan diet. So with those nutrients, I actually do take supplements every day. That's part of my clinical regime. Every single day, those nutrients are going in my body and I take them in supplement form. And they seem to be going well, but I do wonder with specifically with you know the EPA, DHA, the omega fatty acids, if I might feel different if I were to get them in whole food form by eating seafood every once in a while. And it's so weird for me to even say this because I've never said this 
again, in 23 years of eating plant-based, 22 years of vegan, I'm never, for some reason at the beginning of this year, I just thought like, I wonder even if I'm taking these supplements, if I'm still starving my body. That was the colloquial phrase that came up. Like, am I starving my body from something it actually needs, even though I'm taking them in supplement form? And I don't know. I mean, I, I feel pretty good but I still struggle with my mental health. Even though I'm taking these supplements all the time, I still struggle. And that that worries me sometimes. It really does. Yeah. And I mean, this is also a good opportunity for us to talk about something that vegans get really fired up on. And that is people that stop being vegan. And they're known as ex-vegans. Who bring out the pitchforks. <laughs> Bring out no, for real. Like I've personally seen, like we we laugh, but it's like it's like going on a witch hunt for people. But I've personally seen threads of death threats, people sending people death threats for changing their diet. I mean, it, it's it's the level of anger and vitriol and hatred from certain members of the vegan community that have at times made me want to completely distance myself from it. Complete, you know, just altogether. Honestly. Absolutely. And it's it's really fascinating. I think that I'm able to see a lot of my own personal evolution when I'm able to take a balanced perspective. And I remember the times when I was newly vegan and, and probably to, for many years after that of being one of those people that was incredibly judgmental. And Jason's talked about this too. I mean, this comes up often in our show is the periods that we've gone through, the different phases of our veganism. And I remember being somebody who would hear about somebody else who decided not to be vegan anymore and the judgments that I would have. And I also remember the period of time when I was able to have compassion for them. The first person that comes to mind is Natalie Portman. I remember I probably actually talked about this in a video. And I, I definitely talked about this more recently with Ravana, when she came out as a vegan, she's a, a YouTuber, if you're not familiar with her. And she shared because she was caught doing this, which was really interesting. She was caught eating fish on camera and she tried to hide it and then eventually came out as somebody who was eating fish. And it was because of a doctor's recommendation and she decided to add fish into her diet and she had to do this like public or she chose, I should say, to do this public announcement on it. I don't know what she's been doing since. This was this is probably what in 2019. I think it was probably uh, 18 or 19. I think it was about a year ago. And I made a video about how I felt. And basically it was that I thought it was really nuts how the vegans were treating her. People wanted to cancel her. There was this whole cancel culture that we've also talked about a few times. And I remember that same thing was true with Natalie Portman, which I think was much longer ago. I feel like that was in the early days of my YouTube career and addressing that. If I, if I did, maybe my memory is wrong there. But I just remember also taking a step back and thinking, this is strange to me how people want to shame one another. It's coming back all these memories. Another time was, um, <laughs> do you remember this, Jason, when I'm laughing just because it just amuses me how upset people get about things that don't have any significance now. But years ago, I think it might have been like 2012, mm -hmm. Veg News Magazine published some photos, some stock photos of actual meat in an article 
Oh, I remember that. It was like once or twice. They yes. used a photo of like a non-vegan burger. Yes. There was this huge like cancel veg news push. Like how dare they use a stock photo and try to pass it as a vegan photo. And this whole magazine should be canceled because they're not truly vegan and they're just in it for the money and they're just trying to manipulate us. And it was like this huge debate back then online about it. And I remember feeling like so defensive of Veg News because I love Veg News to this day. And Jason and I are very close with the woman who runs it. And I've known them since 2010. And I just felt like so frustrated that people wanted to shame them for something. And I think their stance was that they hadn't done it on purpose, if I remember correctly. Like maybe somebody found the photo and didn't realize it wasn't like they might have typed veggie burger in the photo that came up wasn't a veggie burger, but it was still like had the tag or something. It was like something fairly innocent. But it was that whole idea of shaming somebody for a mistake or decision and not not even listening to their reason for it before deciding that they needed to be canceled. And this just happened so much. I feel like we've definitely talked about cancel culture before. I don't know what episode it is, but we'll dig through our show notes and, and make sure that we link to that in the show notes for this episode, because I think it's something that we're really passionate about is this idea that we want to like put people up at the stake, lynch somebody or burn them at the stake, right? And this also reminds me of acquaintance of ours named Jordan who came out as not being vegan anymore. She's, I think her account was called The Blonde Vegan. And she decided not to be vegan. And she wrote a book about it. And it was the book was about orthorexia. And I remember when that book came out, it brought up so much hate from the vegan community. But before they even read it, they decided, and they meaning the collective vegan community that disagreed with Jordan, and I read the book as a vegan and thought, this is not like what I thought it was. And I also knew Jordan on a personal level. So I was leaning a little bit more towards her side. But I read the book and was not offended at all by it. In fact, I could really relate to it because she was talking about having disordered eating. And I saw myself in a lot of her words about her struggles with orthorexia. You know, it's something that actually helped me a lot. Let's let me point that out is I didn't even really understand what orthorexia meant until I read that book. And ever since I did, it helped me identify the times where I've been really picky and gotten so in my head about the ingredients of food. And it helped me relax a little bit more and try not to be so strict about my eating because as I said from the beginning of this episode, that's where I struggle a lot with my mental health is when I try to do things right. And I think this is a huge reason why I've learned to have a more balanced perspective is because I found so much harm in trying to be perfect. And that was part of Jordan's story as well, is that she was trying to have the perfect body and she was trying to eat the perfect way in order to be good for her health. But it ended up harming her mental health because she was trying so hard to take care of her physical health. And I think that needs to be brought up in this discussion too, Jason. It's like, yeah, maybe you think the way that you're eating and you as in like some random person, not you, Jason, or the, you, the listener, but this idea that if I eat 
the perfect way, I'm going to live forever and I'm never going to get cancer and I'm never going to get sick and I'm never going to this or that. And it's like, we don't have that much control (laughs) over how our lives play out. And I have seen vegans get cancer, which seems like it would be impossible because so much vegan media tells us that if you eat vegan, you are not going to get cancer. But that's not true. Cancer can come from other sources. Cancer can be Again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor or a researcher, so even the words that I'm saying here, I don't know if they're 100% true, but I've seen it happen. And so we can't sit around and act as if we are making ourselves bulletproof by the way that we eat. And even if the way that we eat guaranteed us a longer life, a healthier life, how we define that, is it compromising our mental health to do that for our physical health? That's the big question here. I think you hit the nail on the head with that last statement, Wit. Are we compromising our mental and emotional health for our physical health? This is something that doesn't really get brought up a lot. It really doesn't in in the mainstream conversation. Again, whether it's vegan, paleo, keto, 80-10-10, fruitarian, breatharian, whatever the fuck it is, there's not a discussion of whether or not this is allowing us to feel peaceful and joyful and free. And I think there's a lot of propaganda in every single camp. Every single camp or style of living has its own propaganda. And propaganda is not one article. It's statements and ideas that are reinforced over and over and over and over and over again. And to your point, because we are mostly immersed in the vegan lifestyle and vegan community for so long, I think there's an inordinate amount of propaganda of as you said, you know, if you eat this way, if you're vegan, you'll be bullet. You'll never get sick again. Hey, when's the last time you got sick? I don't know, like 2007. Like there's this idea that you'll never get sick again. There's this idea you'll never get cancer and it's absolute bullshit. You and I both used to say those things, you know, like, oh, well, I've been vegan. I don't get sick. And then I have been sick. Fuck yeah. Because it doesn't make you immortal. It doesn't make you immune to every pathogen or, or possible disease that comes your way. It's, nothing can do that for us. Right. I mean, I even thought for a while that because I was vegan that I could eat whatever I want and not gain weight. And then I found out that wasn't true. Yes. <laughs> like being vegan was not some magical thing that healed my body and and prevented me from experiencing sickness and weight gain and all of these things. And I think it's so important to talk about this because you know one of the articles I pulled up about ex-vegans starts off by saying that vegans are a cult. Oh, oh boy. And you know what? Jason and I are both vegan, but I don't know if we're in that vegan cult, right? I don't think that being vegan means that you're in the cult, but no, no. I can understand why that word is used because a lot of vegans are very radical and they want people to stay in their group, right? Like if we can just convince you that being vegan makes you bulletproof, then you'll never stop being vegan. And you know why I think that is? Is because there's so much ego tied in because each of us want to be right. Each of us wants to believe that we're doing the right thing. And so if we're surrounded by other people who agree with us, then we can never be wrong. Mm, There you go. Everyone is yes-anding each other over and over and over again until the point where You feel like, well, of course, because everyone's in agreement with each other, how could we be wrong? And look at all the research and look at all the studies and look at all the documentaries. And 
it's funny that we're doing this because I'm not here to call out the vegans. I'm here to illustrate this mentality of zealousness and yeah, cult-like behavior with anything because I, I, this level of zealousness with, I, I've seen it in other camps. Like I said, it's not just vegans. It's people that are hardcore paleo, people that are hardcore keto, the carnivore diet. They're like, this is the way to eat and live. And if you're outside of this bubble, you're fucking wrong. And it, to me, it's kind of funny because the image I think of my head is like someone typing up angry comments of like, we're going to send you like a bomb in the mail. How dare you not be vegan? Like, this is the way to live and eat. And this is the truth and the way. And then ding dong. And they go to the door. They open the door like, oh, hello. Have you accepted Christ in your heart? They're like, no, fucking Jesus wasn't real. Fuck that. And then they go back to writing their hateful email. It's like, okay, you just slammed in the door and were like totally angry of someone who's trying to like push their position of like whatever religion on you. And they're like, oh, I can't believe those zealots. And you go back to writing your hateful email. It's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be hating people for their level of belief in zealotry and then be on your high horse in your soapbox thinking like, I'm the way, I'm the light. And I think sometimes people's deep, deep conviction and zealousness over their lifestyle and their diet does border on religious fervor. It does to me. Like I observe it. I'm like, this person is like convinced that this is like the second coming of Christ in a burrito. Absolutely. It's like, it's on that level to me. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, in, in this article that I'm referencing here, which I'm not saying that we agree with, it's just food for thought here and, and important to have a discussion here. That's what we're doing. We're not saying anybody is right. Or, I mean, that's ultimately the point of this podcast. Every single episode is considering our current opinions on something and trying to take the most balanced view possible because that's where I'm coming from. And sometimes we go to different extremes. Sometimes we have more extreme opinions than others. But I think I just don't want to say that being vegan is the right way and the only way. But I also want to come back to the point that we were starting to bring up earlier, which is that if a study comes out that's anti-vegan, I mean, that's just as extreme, right? (laughs) Like that's not a balanced perspective. And according to Dr. Joel Kahn, actually, the study that we started this episode on was funded by the beef industry. Well, you know what I mean, it's like color me shocked. He's pointing out the biases. He's pointing out that there were very few vegans even studied in it. I mean, it's not a surprise at all. Right. So I and, and Dr. Joel Kahn comes off, in my opinion, as a balanced human being. He just doesn't feel very extreme to me. Would you say you know more about him than I do, Jason? Yeah. I mean, I think Dr. Kahn is just an extremely well studied, well-researched, well-informed doctor. I mean, he has done really, really incredible work actually on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's gone on there and debated for plant-based nutrition and plant-based diets. And and of course, you know, I think he's one of the world's foremost cardiologists and heart doctors. And and so for Dr. Khan, I just always feel like he's coming from a very matter-of-fact, science-based approach. He's, he's not the kind of person that is uh, screaming into the camera trying to convince you of anything. He's just a very even, mild-mannered. In some ways, he, he reminds me a lot of Dr. Michael Greger's approach, where he's just very fair and very balanced and very matter-of-fact and doesn't feel like he's trying to convince you of anything. He's just laying it out and does a hell of a lot of research. And that's one of the reasons I really trust both of them in their approach. Mm-hmm. As I'm scanning through this article about ex-vegans, and by the way, I haven't sat down to read it line by line, so... 
I'm not saying that I agree or disagree, but there are some really interesting points in it. And towards the end, the author said, no one has won a cause by being repulsively arrogant and violently bickering with anyone who dares to disagree with them, nor has anyone succeeded in convincing others to willingly join their cause by shaming them for a perfectly normal behavior without valid, reasonable counterpoints. People have very little patience and time for raging fanatics trying to tell them how to live their lives by the human embodiment of a pulsing purple vein on someone's sweaty temple. Wow. What an incredible imagery that they painted. Mm-hmm. I mean, this person's basically talking about her own decision to stop being vegan. And there are some points in her article that I don't agree with, but I do think that she has some really beautiful points in it. And I think her main point is that we shouldn't be fighting or judging somebody for their choice to start something and stop something. And I think this is also such an important perspective is that you know, I get triggered by this stuff too. Like I see this headline about veganism being bad for your mental health or vegetarianism. And I get triggered by it because I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be doing the wrong thing. But that doesn't mean that that person is right. And I think that's one of the big points that we have here is that I have yet to come across any definitive research that says that veganism is better than meat eating nor have I come across any definitive research that says that meat is better than the vegetarian or vegan diet. Have you? I mean, again, if you go back to confirmation bias, this idea that we will automatically look for information and studies and things that back up our current belief systems on both sides, I mean, I think these are the basis of certainly a lot of massive award-winning documentaries. And after one of these documentaries comes out, of course, there's going to be the the inevitable deluge of articles and blog posts trying to disprove or poke holes in the shoddy research that was presented in these documentaries. So there certainly have been studies that have come out. I mean, I I remember reading the China study wit that came out. God, was that almost a decade ago now? Maybe it was almost a decade ago with T. Colin Campbell. And I mean, my God, the level of, of research in that study and exacting meth- methodologies was phenomenal. And people were up in arms because there were some, some animal studies, animal research studies referenced in there. But to me, that was the first time, and I was already plant-based at that point, but I remember reading the China study going, wow, this is very thorough and very detailed and very exacting and very convincing. But again, it's confirmation bias, right? I mean, will I automatically gravitate toward articles and research that point to the reduction in massive carbon emissions by people stopping their meat consumption, of course. Am I going to repost that on Instagram? Absolutely. Does it mean it's the end-all be-all? No. And that's my point is none of this is the end-all be-all. Because again, as our testing methodologies evolve, as our understanding of body chemistry and biology and nutrition evolves, that's the thing is is the, the purpose of science is not to say this is the definitive answer. I think the purpose of science is to look at what exists and goes, can we disprove or evolve what we know and admit that there's never going to be an endpoint? There's going to be like, oh, well, we've reached the apex of human understanding of the universe. We know everything there is to know about everything, and this is the optimal way to live and eat and breathe and meditate and love and conduct your relationships. It's fucking bullshit. Like, we're never going to reach an endpoint. 
So the part that I think people need to let go of is realizing that you think you're right, but what is that based on? It's based on the notion that you've reached some apex of human evolution, like this is the way, which to me goes completely against the nature of this reality in every possible way, which we are constantly evolving, constantly learning, constantly realizing that what we believe to be true was bullshit. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in a previous episode, I think, where hundreds of years ago, surgeons and doctors wouldn't even wash their hands before cutting people open. And now we know, while certainly about microbial health and, and germs and how germology works, that yeah, washing your hands before you cut someone open is a pretty good idea. But of course, hundreds of years ago, we didn't know that. And I don't even want to get into flat earth shit. I don't even want to get into flat earth versus round earth shit. Like uh, that's going to drum up a whole nother thing. But the point is, there's no end point to this. And so for me, all I can really do is say, I'm making the most informed, wise choice for me right now with the information I have. And it's probably going to change in the future at some point. You know what else is really interesting? I was trying to find the link to the Daily Mail article. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that the person that emailed us did a screenshot of it because they actually modified the headline since that screenshot. How so? So let's see. The screenshot that was sent to us was sent on April 29th at 6.12 p.m. And we are looking at the article at on May 10th at 2 p.m. And when it was originally sent to us, the article was titled, Eating Meat Improves Mental Health and One in Three Vegetarians Are Depressed, Study Claims. The new title of the article at this time of recording says, Eating Meat May Improve Mental Health Uh, and One in Three Vegetarians Are Depressed, Study Suggests. So they added the word may improve instead of saying it improves. And they changed it from study claims to study suggests. How interesting. So they softened their stance. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I bet you they realized (laughs) that it was very biased here. And definitive. And definitive. Mm -hmm. The first headline is extremely definitive. Yep. And it was updated. The screenshot here had been updated once on May 29th. And then when we accessed it, it was updated at least a second time on May 5th, 2020. So I have a feeling that when this article made the rounds, they had to kind of change it. And that, to me, shows the bias in the writer. Is that clearly the writer, or it could have been the editor, right? We don't know. But the author of this article or the editor made some changes for one reason or another. And that might show some agenda there. And I think it's just a fascinating thing. I mean, we can look at a headline and make so many assumptions. And that's probably our biggest point here besides the fact that we think it's important to be open-minded and do your research, especially when it comes to your mental health, and know that the information is changing constantly. And the guidance that you get on mental health is really going to depend a lot on the source. Even going to a doctor doesn't mean that you have the right answer because that doctor has his or her own bias. 
and they went to a specific school that might have a bias and they might have read research that is biased. I mean, a doctor does not have all the answers. You could go see five different doctors and get five different opinions or slightly different opinions. And this is why people go and get second opinions or third or fourth or fifth opinions, right? And that's what part is part of what makes health so complicated. And I think incredibly confusing and overwhelming for some people is is realizing that there may not be a right or wrong answer. And I think as human beings, we really want there to be. We really want to do the right thing. And more and more as we record episodes, I realize that part of finding peace in your life is doing the best with what you know how in this present moment and realizing that your life, your opinion, and the world could change at any second. And we've said this in a lot of recent episodes, how recording during the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly taught us that, is that the world can drastically change. We are not guaranteed another breath, that our health could be compromised, our loved ones' health could be compromised. So much can change all the time, and it can be incredibly terrifying to focus on the change. So I think a lot of us cling to comfort and cling to whatever control we think we have and whatever certainty we we think we have. But man, the COVID-19 has taught us that there is so much uncertainty and that can bring up a lot of anxiety and depression. But I have found that if I just let go and release expectations and stop clinging so much to things, that life actually feels easier to me. I think the clinging is where my anxiety comes from and the tension comes from. And it's not actually very scary for me, at least, to just let go and breathe and and be okay and, and live in a gray area. I don't need to live in black and white. I think my life actually feels better in that gray area. And knowing that even an article like this can be changed over time. You know, it's like this brought up so much. And how many people read the article the way that it was published on April 29th and have not come back to it since it was updated on May 5th? And then they may find themselves with their foot in their mouth if they happen to see how much has changed since then. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to say, because I actually pulled up the full research article. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. If any of the listener who wants to really, really dig in, it talks about the criteria and the analysis structure of the research study from the University of Alabama we've been discussing. And I do not want to get into the minutiae of this because it's extremely long and has a lot of scientific rhetoric in it. But what I am observing by looking at it so far, Whitney, is there are kind of two buckets of research and the way people reference research studies. One is anecdotal, where they're like, well, we read some observational studies of people's behavior and we came to these conclusions. It's, it's kind of like we observed, we saw, right? It's anecdotal evidence or anecdotal study versus a clinical double-blind controlled study where you have people doing similar types of behavior, taking specific kinds of medications, having a placebo group, having a control group, right? They're very anecdotal is very, very different in terms of the substantive content and how it's set up versus, again, a double-blind controlled research study. The concern that I have overall, regardless of, of my eating habits and my lifestyle choices, is that they did not do any blood panel testing or neurotransmitter testing of these people, right? They didn't say, 
we're going to put you in a group over here of omnivores or carnivores and over here with vegetarians and vegans. And we're going to give you the exact same blood panel tests, the exact same neurotransmitter tests and evaluate your biochemistry, your neurotransmitter function, your vitamins, minerals, lipoproteins, cholesterol, hormones. They did not do that. And to me, that's the most concerning thing is it's a completely anecdotal study of saying, well, we, you know, kind of looked at people's habits and we came to this conclusion. And to me, for my opinion, that kind of related phenomena does not achieve really definitive results or conclusions unless you're putting people in a double-blind controlled study, right? In a clinical setting where you're observing them and subjecting them to similar stimuli and testing. They did not do that in this. So whether it's a vegan study or whether it's a study like this that's perhaps trying to debunk veganism, if it's an anecdotal observational study, to me, it does not hold as much weight in terms of its conclusions, again, as a controlled double-blind study where you're subjecting people to specific criteria. That's the biggest issue I have with this one. <sighs> this has been uh, <laughs> quite the conversation here, and it brings up a lot of different things within me. And I, I think in conclusion of my feelings and thoughts on this, it first of all has shown me that I'm still very committed to being vegan. And I actually feel relieved. <laughs> there are a lot of biases in this article. I don't know if when I first saw that email from our friend about this that I ever thought, hey, maybe I shouldn't be vegan anymore because my mental health feels pretty good. And I feel pretty good overall as a vegan. I, I really haven't struggled that much. The times that I felt like I was struggling while eating the plant-based diet have honestly been more about the specific foods that I was eating than it was about the diet overall. Because I would say in 17 years of eating plant-based, I have felt really great physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I have made various tweaks. I've done all sorts of different versions of the plant-based diet. I currently lean to eating a low-carb, high-fat diet. I'm not strictly keto at this moment, but I have been strict keto. And I've also released a cookbook on that. And actually, the vegan keto diet felt like it really aligned with a lot of the non-vegan health advocates out there, the Joe Rogans and the Tim Ferrisses and, and a lot of these big, well, I just mentioned two podcasters, but big voices in the health world that happen to be podcasters as well as book authors. I talked about Dr. Mercola, who's really into the keto diet. He might not be a huge advocate of veganism. Or Dave Asprey, who wrote the Bulletproof Diet and, and has the Bulletproof line of products. He doesn't seem to be the biggest fan of veganism, but I'll tell you by reading his books, I felt like I was really in alignment with a lot of the things that he was saying. I just, as I said earlier, filtered out any talk of eggs or bone broth or fish oil or whatever else was brought up by these people. And I felt great. I feel great. And usually I find if I just tweak my diet a little bit and eat less processed foods, definitely eat less sugar. I feel really good when I eat a high fat diet. My body seems to respond better to lower carb foods and not so great to high carb foods. But that's me. That's been my experience. And when I feel like my mental health is suffering. Yeah, sometimes food does play a role, but a lot of the times my mental health is suffering because of my own thoughts and my own reactions to the world. And that's why I'm a big advocate for meditation and breath work and aromatherapy 
and listening to great music. I mean, honestly, when I'm struggling, the very first thing I do to improve my mental health is to turn on some soothing audio, whether it's music or I'm really a big fan of Delta Waves right now or binaural beats. And then I'll employ some aromatherapy. I'll put on some essential oils. I'll diffuse some essential oils. I'll smell a candle. I'll light some incense. I'm doing something for my senses. I'll go take a walk. I'll move my body. I'll be in nature. Maybe I won't listen to any music. Maybe I just listen to the breeze or the birds. Or I'll just shut everything off and take some time for meditation. I'll actually give myself some sensory deprivation. Those things have improved my mental health. So yeah, sometimes it's food, but a lot of the times it's that I need to tune more inward. I need to focus on the present moment. And over all these years of experimenting, those are the things that help me the most. How about you, Jason? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that perspective, Whitney, to this discussion of mental health, because obviously you and I are so incredibly passionate about mental health and emotional wellness. I I would say if we had to peg a foundation of this podcast and of our work as our brand Wellevator, it would be that. And certainly you and I have both had our challenges to different degrees and different dimensions with mental and emotional health. And I'm glad that you brought up this idea of it being a multidimensional exploration of the self. Because as as important as as passionate about food and nutrition as both of us are, having studied in it and been in the wellness industry for so long, it is not the answer. It's not the only puzzle piece in this very complicated kaleidoscopic talk about wellness. I mean, it's it's a foundational piece, but it's not everything. And for me, especially when I was was diagnosed again in 2014 with clinical depression, suicidal ideation, I realized I wasn't meditating every day and I wasn't moving my body and I hadn't been going to therapy. I wasn't doing any of the other things in conjunction with adjusting my supplementation and eating for my neurotransmitter health and eating for my brain health, really, really functionally focusing on those things in terms of my food and my supplements. Once I started adjusting those supplements and adjusting my diet to eat things that were higher in DHA and EPA, things that had supplements that were high in B12, B6, K2, D3, getting more sunshine. I think you and I started hiking more at that point. I remember that's something we need we need to do more, by the way, is, is going on more hikes, but moving my body. And I started seeing my incredible therapist and somatic experiencing specialist, Gary, and he, along with Dr. Alan Green, were really two people that I leaned on in terms of not only the biochemical side of it, but the mental side of it, the spiritual side of my my healing journey from depression. So beyond that, I still meditate every day. I take my supplements. My two favorite brands right now are Viri Every Day and Symbiotica. We'll link to those in the show notes as well, because for mental health and these key nutrients I've mentioned throughout the episode, I, I take those on the daily. That is a non-negotiable for me. And I wanted to interject here. Thank you for bringing up the supplements because yeah. that's one thing I didn't bring up. <laughs> And I was reflected, I looked over as soon as I stopped talking and and saw this jar of supplements that really helped me that I'll bring up. I don't know if you've tried this, Jason, but I'm a huge fan of Gaia Herbs as a a brand. I've actually visited their farm in North Carolina and met their founder and, and just became a huge advocate for them. 
They have this formulation called Calm ASAP that is phenomenal. That is my go-to when I'm struggling. I feel like I've brought it up to you, Jason, but I don't know if you've ever tried them. And likewise, we have worked with Very Every Day before. That's how you pronounce it? Very Every Day? Very Every Day. Uh Uh-huh. We love them. They were part of our our launch party for This Might Get Uncomfortable, actually. A shout out to them. And I've only tried a few of their products, but I'd like to try more of them. So, you know, it's tough when it comes to supplements. It, it, you kind of become biased to certain companies. And Gaia is admittedly one of my biases. And anyways, their Calm ASAP formula is my go-to because it's designed to calm you as soon as possible. And it's really incredible. One thing I, I, I love about them is it says vegan right on the label. So as a vegan, I, I know that it, they don't contain any animal products, but it's this incredible blend of herbs that makes a bit, big difference for me. They have chamomile, holy basil, English lavender, vervian, or is that how you pronounce it? Or vervain? Vervain, yes. Thank you. Skullcap is another one. And they put so much love and passion into their formulation that I just wanted to give them a shout out because I really felt like it was super powerful. And then the other is CBD, which we've talked about so much. So I know that's a big part of your life too, Jason. Yeah. And I I think this goes back to Whitney is this is a kaleidoscopic journey. I love that word because to me, the dimensions and the fractals and the methods and the supplements and the practices that we all have as individuals, it's going to fluctuate from person to person. And and again, I think as we age, as we evolve, as our body chemistry changes, our hormones change, our bodies change, our preferences change, that it's important we stay flexible. It's important that we evolve along with our biology. And we got to remember what we learned at the farmer's market about preferences, Jason. (laughs) What? I don't need no preferences. (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness yeah so we were in new york city at one of my favorite farm both of our favorite farmers markets in the world the green market in union square and there was a guy i I don't remember what booth we were at was it a hot sauce booth or a cultured vegetable booth or something like that no i feel like it was was it i could probably look it up but i bet you we have part of this on camera but i think it was just like a farm with produce Oh, okay, yeah, and and there were there were like some really cool stuff there. Again, the if anybody who's in New York City or visiting New York, go to the Union Square Green Market, the farmers market. It's phenomenal. And there was a guy hanging out in the booth, working the booth, I think. And and I said, oh, you know, do you, do you have a preference between this and that? He's going preference. I don't need no preference. <laughs> and it's been one is one of those inside jokes, one of those ticks that has stayed with us for years and years and years. <laughs> I feel like you have a different version of it, though, that has a little bit of an accent on it, Jason. Oh, uh, do I? Yeah. An accent? Well, you're like, I don't need no preference. Oh, I don't need no preference. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you for your input. I'll just pick one then. But it's funny how it stuck with us. I, I thought it was such a good little <laughs> lesson. It's that like, Yeah, some of us have our preferences. Maybe we prefer the vegan diet or a meat-based diet, but you also don't need to have a preference. You could be somewhere in between. Yeah, and and look, here's the deal. Judging other people about how they live their life is taking time away from you focusing on you. Like, I just want to say that. And we've said this before about being careful to not throw stones in glass houses. And we don't know what internal battle someone else is fighting that they're not showing us publicly. We just don't know. And if people were to look at me publicly, 
and didn't really dig into my backstory, they'd have no idea that I struggle with depression and suicidal ideation and anxiety. They wouldn't know it. But for me, my choices are my choices. And I'm doing it because whether it's my lifestyle, my diet, my workout routine, my belief system, how I worship, how I don't worship, whatever it is, I think that it just, you know, it reminds me of of <laughs> this amazing ism. And you know, you know how much I love isms, Whitney. I love Byron Katie. I love her work. I did her school for the work back in 2012, which from a mindfulness and self-awareness perspective, one of the most phenomenal trainings I've ever done. And one of her many isms that I love is when you find yourself like being drawn off and, and kind of being in a story about someone, you have to ask yourself, whose business am I in? And she's like, okay, there's your business. There's somebody else's business and there's God's business. Whose business are you in? And I think we as humans spend so much time being in other people's business that it distracts us from our own. It distracts us from our own self-awareness, our own self-improvement, taking good care of ourselves because we're so worried about how someone else is eating, living, who they're sleeping with, how they're worshiping, who they vote for. Like, And it's not to say we shouldn't have strong opinions or, or feel passionate about causes, but spending so much time telling somebody else how to live, how to eat, how to worship, how to love, like we need to get the fuck out of other people's business. I think the world would be a much better place if we just focused more on ourselves, to be honest. Couldn't agree more. So in that, we will link to, my goodness, all of the resources and articles and supplements and things that we mentioned in today's podcast. I just want to give a two other recommendations to take a look at. One is a book that I picked up last year that I think is really a cool link between inflammatory behaviors, stress, anxiety, anger, and inflammatory eating and how that affects our mental health and our brain health. And the, the book is called The Inflamed Mind. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes for you, dear listener. And also, I did a course with Commune a couple years ago called Good Mood Food, which digs a little bit deeper into my philosophy and nutritional studies around how the functional benefits in food can affect your brain health. So we'll link to that. Our friends at One Commune are so wonderful, and we've done so much with them. They've been great allies of ours. And with that, we would always love to hear from you if you have been struggling with mental or emotional wellness or perhaps have a story you want to share with us. Please do so in the comment section at wellevator.com. You can go to the podcast section and access all of the show notes, including the ones for this episode, including all of the links to books and resources and courses and supplements we mentioned here. And if you want to follow us on social media, we always love hearing from you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest. We are at Wellevator. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And we do, with our Wellevator brand, have some amazing free resources for you, including the Take Charge series and ebook, the You Are Enough workbook, and some courses like Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code, which again, all anchor in our mission to help you thrive with your mental health and emotional wellness as we are on this journey together, you know, we by our, are no means elevated above you as experts in this. We are on this exploratory journey of optimizing our mental health and emotional wellness and just love sharing our findings with you so that we can grow and learn and evolve together on this journey. That's really what it's all about. So we want to thank you for joining us here today on This Might Get Uncomfortable. I certainly felt uncomfortable as hell, Whitney, at certain points, especially sharing the idea that I might uh, think about eating fish sometimes. Like, I'm a little bit kind of worried about the blowback from this and people are like, I can't believe he admitted he thinks about eating fish sometimes. Like, I'm a little worried about that. Let's be honest. Are those the people that we're targeting here? Hell no. <laughs> and I mean, I, I hesitate to use the word target, but meaning that... Including, that we want to include in the conversation. 
it's also like we're not trying to exclude anybody. But if somebody's going to exclude us, then so be it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want to be seen for my full self and who I really am. And trying to pretend that we belong when we're not even sure that we fully belong. I mean, gosh, I've done that a lot of times in my life. And I mean, it, it certainly happened to me even with religion. There's part of me that that really enjoys the Christian philosophies, but I don't fully align with everything that is within the certain Christianity. And it's okay to take bits and pieces. It's okay to have different perspectives. It's okay if, you know, it's like, we're all kind of on a spectrum and you and I just happen to be on different spectrums of of the vegan lifestyle. That's all it is. It's like sexuality. I mean, you, we try to put ourselves in boxes like I'm heterosexual or I'm homosexual, but there are people that fall in between, right? And there's people that that love different genders and both at the same time, there are some that just don't want to even define themselves as having a romantic preference. And I think it all comes down to that point about not having a preference and how, you know, trying to box us in and feel ourselves in and feeling shame for having desires or having thoughts or or questioning something or wanting to do something that we don't feel like we're supposed to do. I think that just contributes to us feeling more stress than we really need. Thank you for saying that. That's a beautiful way to wrap this up with in the sense that we create this collage of our own life based on our experiences and our desires and our hopes and dreams and challenges and failures and all of the things. And, and our particular collage doesn't have to look exactly like everyone else's. And if other people are pressuring us to be exactly like them, what an opportunity for us to break free. And as we have said so many times in so many episodes, to explore different paths in the forest, paths that maybe no one's walked down before. Maybe realizing that it's okay to be different and that we don't have to succumb to the tyranny of the majority and whether what other people tell us we ought to live, ought to eat, ought to feel, ought to love. And I suppose that is maybe the biggest hero's journey is figuring out what is our calling and what is our personal truth, what is our subjective truth, even if other people don't understand it and don't support it or shame us for it. That's the ultimate display of courage is to be courageously experimental and walk into the unknown over and over again in this life. Even if people are telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't walk into the cave, don't walk down the path, but you know there's a part of you that wants to do it. And so if you, dear listener, are on your own path and constantly seeking out new roads and new avenues, we salute you. We are on our own paths with you, giving you a thumbs up, maybe leaving breadcrumbs for each other. And just exploring this crazy, this crazy thing called life together. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. And we will talk to you and be with you again soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 